Two votes, but no conclusion. This week on the programme, we have the latest on the rows over the future use of glyphosate. Seems to be turning into a bit of a mess out here, unfortunately. It is an absolute farce. Angry doesn't really cover how I feel about this. Plus, automation and robotics coming soon to a farm near you. Um, we're looking at developing the next generation of agricultural machinery, um, which we believe will involve robotics. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. If you're uh, wondering why we're on an hour later than normal this week, it's uh, because you haven't put your clock back yet, have you? <laughs> yes. Uh, goodbye, British summertime. Uh, it could be goodbye to glyphosate as well, sooner than many feared. EU member states this week failed to reach an agreement on the European Commission's proposal to the renewal of glyphosate's licence for a further 10 years. It means, while not banned yet... We could be a step closer to that happening, and certainly it's now likely we'll see a shorter reauthorisation period instead, maybe even five years. Well, the day before, a vote was held in the European Parliament with a majority of MEPs backing a full ban on the use of glyphosate by 2022, with immediate restrictions for household use. Now, that vote isn't legally binding but it could yet sway opinion, as despite scientific evidence which suggests it is still safe to use. So what is going on? Uh, Well, one of the MEPs who voted against the ban is Rupert Matthews. Uh, Rupert, welcome to the Farming Programme. Hello. Hello, it's it's good to have you here, and uh, quite apt, obviously, the build-up to... um, to Halloween, and uh, your interest in, in the paranormal. With, uh, I mean, you're a, a, a renowned author and uh, expert in paranormal situation. Um, how, how are you on glyphosate? Is that the paranormal? I'm uh, no, no. Though um, the more things go on here, the weirder it's getting. No, uh, um, I mean, obviously, I've left my writing behind. I'm now the uh, MEP for the East Midlands, uh, and I'm a deputy on the committee that's been dealing with this. So um, I've been keeping an eye on it. Uh, and I've been doing my best to get up to speed, but it um, seems to be turning into a bit of a mess out here, unfortunately. We had the vote on, on Tuesday. I mean, talk us through that, first of all. Well, uh, well, I mean, it's the European Union, so nothing is ever uh, straightforward. The vote on Tuesday was a vote in the European Parliament, which has absolutely no um, uh, power at all over this, this matter. It's merely advisory. Uh, However, uh, what is known as the Comitology Committee, uh, which is made up of a representative of each of the national governments, they met in Brussels, uh, and unfortunately, um, they seem to have backed down on their previous position. Previously, uh, they were going to uh, re-license glyphosate for 10 years uh, with the recommendation that after five years, any scientific evidence should be reviewed, uh, because, as I'm sure you and your listeners are aware, there there was one study uh, which raised uh, the issue that glyphosate might be uh, uh, a carcinogenic, uh, although the other studies said it wasn't. So there we go. Um, But unfortunately, uh, they seem to sort of back down on that uh, and have decided instead that after five years, glyphosate is going to become illegal for use in the European Union. As you say, it's, it's it's a mess, isn't it, really? They're not taking into account all of the scientific evidence that's there. Uh, They're not even taking into account the evidence of the European Union's own scientists that they've uh, hired themselves to look into exactly this issue. Uh, I sat through the presentation uh, that was given to the um, Environment Committee about three weeks ago now, uh, and it was quite clear that the scientists were saying that... um, 
know, there, there is uh, absolutely no danger, as long as this, this chemical is handled properly, because after all, you know, it's a weed killer, it's, it is a dangerous chemical. So long as it was handled properly, um, there was negligible risk uh, to the to people who were using it, uh, and he was, you know, saying we should go ahead. Uh, and that indeed uh, is the position of, the gov- uh, of our government, uh, is what I voted for, uh, and so on. But unfortunately, uh, you know, so some of the, the lobbyists here have been getting to work, as so often in the European Union. Uh, and that comatology committee in Brussels uh, ha- seems to have caved in. They haven't explained why they've done this, incidentally. I'm still waiting on that. I just got a note through about half an hour ago uh, telling me what the result of the vote had been. But I haven't had a note through yet explaining why they did it. So that, at the moment, I'm still slightly at sea. Conservative MEP Rupert Matthews there. Other MEPs disagreed, obviously, hence the uh, results of the vote. Green Party MEPs, for example, all voted in favour of a ban on glyphosate. Now, no one's been available from the Greens to be interviewed on the issue, but Keith Taylor, he's a member of the European Parliament's Environment and Public Health Committee, is quoted as saying that MEPs had sent an important message to the European Commission showing that they're prepared to take on the might of Monsanto to protect citizens from toxic chemicals. Oliver Dowding, meanwhile, is the Green Party's spokesman on agriculture. Here's what he had to say to the programme back in June, ahead of the general election. Glyphosate's a bigger issue because it is a, a, you know, it's a wonderful product for a farmer. I don't dis- disagree with that. I am a farmer. I know how it used to be when I was conventional. And, you know, you can clean up the farm. But it does come with consequent problems, which we're only really starting to learn. And again, it's very hard to, I understand that, it's very hard for a farmer to accept that they're being told what you've done for 30 years is actually causing problems and you're going to have to change. What about the British government here? Well, uh, Farming Minister George Eustace was asked about the situation on Thursday. He said the government believes glyphosate is safe and supports reauthorisation. Back in June, in his first interview after being appointed DEFRA secretary, we asked Michael Gove his view on it. And of course, last year in the campaign, you said it's not a time for experts. Will you listen? <laughs> will you listen to the science? Is what they're saying, rather than the bigger lobby groups. You know, he who shouts loudest kind of thing. I'm always guided by the science. Uh, when I was um, uh, having a go at experts, it was economists who tend not to get their predictions right. Scientists do. So, in everything I do in this job, I will be guided absolutely by the science. So, as that proves there with uh, Michael Gove, it is an issue we've covered many times before here on the programme. Indeed, our agronomist Sean Sparling has long been a champion for glyphosate in his role as uh, chairman of the Independent Association of Crop Consultants. He also had a letter on the issue published in the Daily Telegraph this week, which you might have read. Uh, We'll have agronomy from Sean in a moment. First, what do you make of the latest developments over glyphosate? Angry, I guess? Angry doesn't really cover how I feel about this because we're dealing with a product in glyphosate which has been proven in study after study after study, hundreds of independent studies carried out by independent government scientists whose only job is to decide whether what we're eating is safe for us over the lifetime and poses no threat. That's their only job. They're not industry scientists. They're government scientists, independent scientists. So when these people are saying glyphosate is safe, the only people who are saying it isn't safe are the people who want rid of glyphosate because they oppose GM. That is the sad fact of what's going on. And the misinformation which is out there is absolutely criminal. Good people are being misled by absolute nonsense, which is almost being made up on the spot. Now, the problem with what's just happened in the EU Parliament, Germany abstained, that's probably got several things to do with the fact that Mrs Merkel is trying to get the Green Party on side to form a minority 
uh, ruling party. Um, and that may well be the issue. Portugal abstained as well. 16 countries voted for, 10 countries voted against. They're going to kick it down the road for another month into next month. What that does is that doesn't give the government scientists time to present their data and show how safe glyphosate is. That's not what will happen. What will happen is the activists and the NGOs who are against glyphosate, it gives them more time to make more things up about how bad it isn't. And it's absolutely criminal that we're in this position. We're going to get bombed back to the Stone Age if we're not very careful because people have forgotten how dangerous weeds like uh, cooch are. Anything with an underground stolon, cultivation isn't the thing to do because if you've got one stolon, you cultivate, you break it and form two, you get two plants resulting. If we have nothing to control these things, cultivation's not going to work. With no chemical to control it, we're back to where we were in 1972 or three before glyphosate came along and we're overrun with cooch, creeping bent and weeds like that. What that means is food security absolutely plummets, yields plummet, farm profits plummet, billions of pounds are wiped off the national economy because we can't provide enough food. And what happens? We start to import food from other countries and what's it treated with but glyphosate because they haven't banned it over there. It is an absolute nonsense. Now, let's move on to agronomy before I get too apoplectic about this. Um, winter wheat drilling underway. Some people have caved in and gone. The, the poker hand has been shown. Everything, cards are on the table and people are going. And... On some of these heavy blackgrass fields where no blackgrass has yet been seen, it remains to be seen whether that's the right decision or not. But conditions are reasonable. If you can get it in well and get a good seed bed, get your stack of herbicides on, that's all you can do. Then you have to put up with what happens next after that decision. Slugs are... Uh, causing one or two issues don't just assume if you've got a deter seed treatment on that you have dealt with the slug issue you probably haven't get your slug traps out remember to favor ferrous phosphate if you've got wet conditions um, and certainly nowhere near 10 meters of a field boundary or a watercourse should you be using metaldehyde anyway treat areas as we've said before the knottier areas of the field the more open areas of where the problems from slugs are going to come because they don't tunnel like worms they rely on you to leave it rough if you've got rough areas that chances are is where the problem's going to be wheat is already up in places what i would say is as far as bydv vectors go so the bird cherry oat aphid the grain aphid the rose grain aphid don't just spray for bydv with pyrethroids once the crops through the ground because that's what you always do make sure the aphids are there because once again we are dealing with a situation where pyrethroids are just about our last line of defense because we've got rid of all the other insecticide groups on cereals so you don't want to be spraying them unnecessarily you need to have a target there because if you just go banging them on routinely the resistance issue is going to go through the roof and we're going to find ourselves with nothing to control these either, particularly if the same activists who are trying to get rid of glyphosate get rid of the uh, neonicotinoid seed dressings on winter wheat as well. So oilseed rape then, light leaf spots starting to appear in places around the county. The foamer levels have remained fairly constant, but they are still there. If you've got a forward frothy crop of rape, you need to be thinking about a growth regulator type fungicide. So the not all triazoles are growth regs. Prothiaconazole has no no growth regulatory effect whatsoever but the tebuconazoles 
uh, Metconazole old type materials do. So if you've got a big canopy, try and drop that down to prevent problems later on. Downy mildew showing up in several fields as well. That could be because of the presence of volunteers. If you've got clear field rate, remember you have to use the Cliranda product, which has metazochlorine by the 1st of November. If you get past that point, you have to move on to the Cliravo product, which has Quinmeric in place of the metazochlor. So all things are moving at a pace. Winter wheat is coming through the ground. Manganese deficiency, magnesium deficiency showing up all over the place when you have a look. Um, but as I say, don't panic and charge in with BYDV sprays. Once the crop comes through the ground, if it's had no deter on it, remember 170 days, add up your average day temperatures until you get to 170 that's when you should start but only then if you've got aphids in the crop so uh, let's hope this week brings some good weather and we can get some crops in the ground black grass flushes before you start and glyphosate is always going to be the best pre-em you use on black grass thank you sean sean sparling of sparling agronomy services and of course talking glyphosate at the beginning there in his role as chairman of the iacc Last month on the programme, during uh, Andy Marsh's chat with Michael Gove in Newark, they touched on automation, robotics, what many see as the future of farming and the work of Harper Adams. Here's Mr Gove again. Well, Harper Adams University, which is probably our um, leading, um, or one of our leading uh, universities conducting research into agriculture um, and agricultural technology, is developing the uh, the principle of the, um, uh, the how can I put this, if, if you say a farm without workers, that means that, that seems almost utopian, but they're, they're looking at ways in which you can absolutely minimise the need for labour by developing new methods of uh, drilling, planting, um, and so on. And I think it's certainly the case that we'll be saying more about how we can help innovation and automation to ensure that farmers can become even more productive in the future. Second time on the programme this week. Well, uh, they're thinking of the future as well at the University of Lincoln. Earlier this year, Professor Tom Duckett from the university told Ian Lee more about the work they've been doing with robotics in agriculture and one machine in particular. What we're looking at here today is a lightweight uh, robotic vehicle. It's got four independently driven wheels and it, it weighs about 180 kilos. And it's a project that's been developed together with the Norwegian University of Life Sciences and University of Lincoln. And we're aiming to apply this platform to many different tasks in, in agriculture. So just as today on a farm you have the tractor, which is a very multi-purpose vehicle and can be used for lots of different tasks. Um, we're looking at developing the next generation of agricultural machinery, um, which we believe will involve robotics, that uh, robots that will have their own sensors, uh, onboard computing power and actuators to enable them to do lots of different tasks on the farm. So um, to give some examples, we can use this platform for, for example, as a scouting platform to, to look at um, monitor crops and see, uh, see when they're ready for, to harvest, for example. Mounted on this robot, we've got a, a so-called Cosmos sensor, which is, um, which is a new sensor that's been developed for um, measuring soil moisture levels. So it's something that ultimately a farmer could use to, um, to assess the, the distribution of water on their land and make, make better decisions about irrigation and, uh, uh, yeah, and, and to improve the efficiency of the agriculture. And also with us, we've got Halvard, who's come over from Norway. And I, I gather this platform has been used in Norway in the production of strawberries. Yeah, uh, we had a large problem with the mildew in Norway last summer. So last fall we started a um, project where we mounted uh, UVB lamps on the robot and uh, we drove it autonomously through the um, polytons during nighttime. And that killed the mildew and uh, left the strawberries uh, fine. 
So I, I guess, Tom, that um, robots are going to become increasingly used. Um, you know, can you see the day where these, these machines are going to be maybe harvesting the fruit for us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have some projects on that at the moment. So I, th I think with this robotics technology, I think in the short term, most of the developments that you'll see actually get, getting onto the farm um, will involve, if you like, retrofitting existing agricultural machines. So we, we've been doing some projects where we've put, um, we've put sensors and even mini robots onto existing uh, machines like tractors and sprayers and so on. Um, so that, that's the most immediate uh, route to market. But then longer term, then... Um, we believe this is the future uh, of, of agriculture, that there'll be um, lightweight robotic platforms like this um, because they, they have a number of advantages. One, um, we can potentially make farms more productive and, and we can help to alleviate some of the problems with labour shortages in, in, in the industry. Um, so, so our systems can do, be autonomous and perform some of the tasks that humans currently do. Um, there's also the question of, of fuel efficiency that um, and, and the reliance on fossil fuels so because this is an electrically powered platform it could be potentially uh, powered by solar panels on the farm um, and then also because it's a lightweight platform um, rather than using heavy machinery heavyweight tractors and so on there's the potential for doing much less damage to the soil um, so it could alleviate problems with soil compaction and so on so really really there are several benefits which we think um, mean that this kind of development could be really beneficial for the future of farming and how long do you think it's likely to be before we see this sort of technology being used commercially? Well, um, I think this is going to be an ongoing process because there already are, in fact, um, uh, robotic solutions in farming. Um, many um, machinery manufacturers offer now GPS-guided systems, you know, so um, we can see gradual introduction of, of technologies already for, for precision agriculture. We can see precision variable rate spraying, for example. Um, so I think... This is a natural evolution. I think it's already started and we'll see more of these developments coming in. So we'll see more solutions with um, more sensing capabilities on the farming machinery. Uh, for example, vision sensors to assess when a crop's ready for harvest and so on. Um, and ultimately, we can, we, we'll see more and more automation and more and more robotic solutions being introduced. I, I, I would think within the next 10 years, we will see um, fully autonomous robotic systems like this being deployed on farms. Professor Tom Duckett from the University of Lincoln there. Right, on to grain. It's uh, Henry Young from Open Field this week. Morning, Henry. Good morning, how are you? I'm OK. Half term, so I guess a quiet week we've just had? Yeah, a bit quieter. <laughs> the office has certainly been a bit quieter, um, but certainly on the farms, I'd say it's been quite busy as well. A lot of land work going ahead. Uh, obviously, with that dry weather that we've had, uh, certainly mean that a lot meant a lot of people can get on and do some work. Drilling's flowing well, certainly driving around the county. Crops are coming up quite well, so uh, let, let's hope this continues. Having a look at those markets this week, well, it's been quiet, as we've just said, with a half term and with the farm work. Um, it's just keeping everyone kind of slightly out of the market, shall we say. A lot of the traders have been away just trying to take that break after harvest. So last week, uh, we did see uh, the GDP results, which could potentially cause a bit of a rise and uh, support for sterling. What impact this will have on the market, I don't know. But something of note, which I actually read this week, which, which was quite interesting, that if the UK wasn't trading as an island, the price X farm would be much lower than it actually is today. Maybe this is a positive point around black grass, late drilling, the lower yields, and the fact that we're trading as an island. But it is also something just to have a think about when you hear those values and think, oh, is this value right or not? Uh, looking a bit further afield, Argentina, they're starting into the harvest of its wheat crop 1% at the moment. But there are concerns about the wet conditions, as we've spoken about in previous reports. 
the loss of crop on those wet conditions. But what is that impact is this actually going to have? And are they then going to have to be very competitively priced? Are we going to see imports going into Argentina with the quality that they do have? Are they then going to try and take the Algerian business, which we do know that the UK does try to do as well? It is causing a bit of uh, kind of tension there as well. But do be aware that the global freight market can't be ignored and those values are high at the moment. Uh, Australia futures also, they were slightly higher last week. This is on the FOB values, which is little change. Despite the firm euro and the lower dollar as well, the Matif has been closing up better this week, which can only be a good thing for those values. The French premium has also firmed a bit, leaving January replacement at a pretty high level. So again, time will tell. Once we get out of November, which is a futures month as well for the UK, we'll see what happens. The Black Sea market at the moment is unchanged, with the nearby uh, delivery logistics still having a bit of a problem. Uh, So again, we'll wait and see what happens with that. So just having a look at those prices, November 138 to 141, March 142 to 145, May 144 to 147, and November 18, 140 to 143. They are some pretty good values for feed wheat. So I, I would recommend having a bit of a look at it. If you think it's worth putting a bit of a level out there, worth having it worth having a think. Malting barley, the markets have taken a break, literally, uh, with key d- uh, domestic consumers and the market being away from their desk for half term. This seems a bit to be a bit of a standard thing across most companies at the moment. This has meant that trade volumes have been almost non-existent uh, with a price discovery very difficult to find. FOB market values are suffering on the similar fate But again, time will tell. People will be back in the office on Mondays. Things might get going again. So wait and see. Feed barley. The values have been just holding a level at the moment. Again, there doesn't seem to be much fresh demand out there. So let's see if there's a rally out there. But these prices aren't too bad either. November at the moment, 121 to 125. March, 125 to 129. May, 126 to 129. And November, 117. Just a quick update on the oilseed rate market. It has some seen some support this week by the USDA cutting soybean yields and the end stocks. Also, Germany is cutting its oilseed rate yields lower than last year. So again, this may have a positive input for, for next year. Domestic farmers aren't selling at the moment. You're all too busy to, to be th- trying to think about those things. So having a look at those prices, November 311, March 313, May 314 and November 18, 308. Just a quick update on the beans. As we've spoken about many times over the past couple of weeks, uh, it's all about the brookid level and the damage that has been seen. This is pushing up the human consumption market if there is the quality there. And it has seen um, kind of export bids uh, circa 195 delivered to a port. So again, this is only a good thing going forward if you have got that quality. And looking at the peas, generally uh, the crop quality has been disappointing. I, th- I think that's what we expect with those beans. Downgraded peas are unlikely to be homed uh, with haste uh, and feed quality buyers remain few and far between. Also, the feed bean alternative isn't very desirable. Feed beans offer a better supply and a higher protein levels for, th- for the feed millers, which isn't going to help those uh, those feed pea prices going forward. Although uh, pea crop generally uh, taking a, a quite a bit of a hit there is a large proportion uh, of the large blues available. However, approximately 70% of, of those have got bleaching, resulting in the growers actually seeing better values if they have got that better quality of around £210 a tonne. Thank you. Useful information as ever. Henry Young from Open Field. The Farming Programme. 
five-day forecast. Yes, let's see what the week ahead has in store for us then. A little bit of uh, early sunshine today, but clouding over 11 the high. Uh, the wind from the north-northwest at about 15 miles an hour. Clear skies for a time overnight tonight. It will be a chilly night, actually. Three Celsius will be the low. Could be a frost in some uh, more isolated parts. The wind from the northwest, uh, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Patchy cloud tomorrow, highs of uh, 9 Celsius. The wind, more from the west-southwest at 5 miles an hour. And then a heavy band of rain looks to be uh, sweeping across the area uh, Monday night into Tuesday morning. It will be quite breezy as well. We've got lows of 7. That wind from the southwest, 15, but gusting at 30 miles an hour through the night. Tuesday, possibility of further rain, a little bit warmer, 14 the high, the wind from the west-southwest, 15 to 30 miles an hour. And then it should be drier Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. It will stay cloudy, though, so temperatures uh, about 10 Celsius, the wind from the west, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Staying cloudy through Wednesday itself, 14 the high, should be dry though, the wind from the west-southwest at about 15 miles an hour. And then it looks at the moment like Wednesday night, another band of heavy rain uh, drifting through, then it should be drier for the latter end of the week. Temperatures around uh, 10, 11, maybe 12 degrees, uh, lows overnight, uh, 7, maybe 8 Celsius if we're lucky. And that's the forecast. In case you missed the news in the week, Lama is on the move after next year. From 2019, it'll be at the NEC in Birmingham, making uh, this coming January's event the last to be held at the East of England showground. Elizabeth Morgidam of Organisers Briefing Media has described the NEC as the UK's leading exhibition venue with unparalleled scale, facilities and transport links. Not all agree. Some in the industry are questioning whether it could lead to an increase in costs for exhibitors. I guess uh, time will tell on that one. We will be at Lama in January and we will watch the move to Birmingham very closely when it does happen the following year. Right, that's it for another week. We won't be in Birmingham. We'll be back here once again at the same time next Sunday. Until then, as ever, have a good week's farming.